Well, good morning, Chillicothe Bible Church. How are we doing? Good. It is good to be with God's people and to declare the glory of God and to sing His praises and to fellowship with one another. Uh, one of the highlights of my week every week is getting together with you here and opening up God's Word together and praying together and um, just being encouraged by one another. Uh, I hope that that's your experience also, that, that gathering with God's people, with your brothers and sisters, is an encouraging thing. Uh, we have a lot of us that are out uh, doing ministry these days, uh, out even away from this place. Uh, our brother Dennis just got back from being overseas for a bit. Uh, I head out tomorrow. Uh, J- Pastor Josh has got the junior high uh, kids off to Snowblast with a couple of our partner churches. And uh, I think they're having a fabulous time, even though it's been very cold. Uh, and I don't think they got to ski. Um, but, uh, but they are getting an opportunity to hear God's Word and to, to build relationships, and that's good. Um, I mentioned last week that I'm taking us through a series that I'm calling Back to Basics, because as every world-class athlete or musician or professional in any field knows, what separates the great ones from the average ones is their absolute mastery of the basics. Uh, One of my father's closest friends when I was growing up was an Olympic class weightlifter, and he said, you know, the, the difference between the average guy in the gym and a guy with medals around his neck is 10%. It's 10% more reps, 10% more time in the gym, 10% more, uh, more weight over a long period of time. But it's just 10%. And they absolutely learn to master the basics. And my deep desire for all of us here at Chillicothe Bible Church is for us to be not simply average Christians, but that we would be great in God's eyes. And so I want to um, regularly with you come back to the basics of the faith together. Last week I gave you a glimpse of the wheel illustration, which is a diagram put together by the navigators a long time ago, back in the 30s about how the Bible envisions and describes the Christian life that I think is pretty helpful in understanding it. Uh, This week you have a copy of that diagram on the back of your bulletin right above your sermon outline. Uh, Last week we looked at the hub, which is having Christ at the center of your life. Putting Christ at the center of your life. That when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, that what you need to do is enthrone Jesus Christ as Lord over your life, the one who gets to tell you what to do and how you're to live, and to put him at the center of everything that you're doing, directing all of your decisions, your decision about where you go to college, uh, about if you go to college, uh, your decision about um, who you are to marry, your decision about where you should live, your decision about what you should do for entertainment, uh, about uh, how you should raise your children, about all of these things flow out of having Christ at the center of who you are 
as a follower of Jesus. And then this week, we want to look at the rim on that wheel, uh, the thing that, that holds all of them together uh, as one unit, and the rim is obedience to Christ. Obedience to Christ. That you, that you not only need to, um, to have Christ at the center of your life, you need to do what it is that He says. And we're going to look at a passage about that. We're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 7 uh, today, uh, the end of the chapter, a famous uh, portion of Scripture. Before we get there, I want to pray and ask for God's uh, intervention by His Spirit as we open His Word. Father, we know that apart from You, as You told us uh, through the Son, speaking in John, apart from You, we can do nothing. We can do nothing of our own. That we uh, cannot do anything which is pleasing to You. We cannot live a life that conforms to Your will. We cannot be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We cannot achieve anything that is great and good in Your sight apart from You. And Father, I pray that as we talk about obedience today, that You would help us to understand it, that it is not simply that Jesus saves us and then we gut out obedience of our own effort, but that, Father, we who are converted and who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit are people who naturally do the will of the one to whom we have submitted ourselves. Uh, Father, help us um, not to um, misunderstand your word. Help us to understand it deeply and to put it into practice. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 21. This is, what, this is what Jesus says. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, let me give you uh, a little background by way of introduction on this passage. I grew up in a tradition that summarized what the Bible says about the security of our salvation with this little phrase, once saved, always saved. How many of you all have heard that? few of you? Okay. Some of my compadres here that grew up in that tradition. Um, in other words, once you're saved, you cannot lose your salvation. And praise God, that is gloriously and wonderfully and completely true as far as it goes. If you are truly saved, you cannot ever, ever be lost for any reason. Because as Jesus teaches us in John chapter 10, there's this glorious passage where Jesus says that my Father has given His sheep 
into my hand. And he says, and I hold them in my hand. And then he says, and my Father who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one can take them out of my Father's hand. It's a great and glorious truth that once you belong to God, uh, and as a child of God, you can never be separated from Him. Or you might, you might look at uh, Romans chapter 8 that says, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And those are true statements that God holds us in His hands and He will never let us go. But as I was growing up, I, I understood that. And then I would come to a passage like this and it would both scare me and confuse me. Maybe some of you, as you read this morning, are in a similar spot of being scared and confused. I was scared because I knew that I was a sinner and I also knew that I had done no mighty works for God of the type that are described here and that I had done many great acts of sin against Him. And my reasoning went like this. That if not even all the people who have done great things for God in Jesus' name are saved, then what hope do I have? And on the other hand, I would be confused because I couldn't square a passage like this with other passages that teach that we are eternally secure and kept by God's grace until the day of our redemption. And the result of, our, of my confusion and fear, the combination of those two things, was that I lived for a long time without any real peace or assurance that I was saved. And so every time somebody would share the gospel, this is how my prayers would go. Maybe you've prayed like this. Now Jesus, I don't know if I did it right the last time. But just in case I didn't, putting my trust in you right now right and i don't know how many times i prayed like that but it was well more than a dozen lots and lots and lots of times because i did not want to be among those to whom jesus said depart from me you workers of lawlessness i never knew you i didn't want to be in that category And I believe that it's possible that some of us who are sitting here today are in the same position that I was in years ago and find themselves scared and confused by a passage like this and wondering how these things fit together. So let me clarify for just a minute. First, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, are we eternally secure? Yes. Say that. Yes, we are. Once we belong to Jesus, we are eternally secure. We are kept forever, not by our performance, but by God's grace. As, as, as Jude writes at the end of his little, his little book, to Him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before Him with great joy. Right? He's giving praise to God. Because God is the one who keeps us secure. So, if that's true, why will some people who say to Jesus, 
Lord, Lord, find the doors to the kingdom of heaven shut to them. It is because it is possible to make a false profession of faith. In other words, you say that you are saved with your mouth without ever possessing faith, without ever having it present in your life. And so at the last judgment, there will be some people who claim to be Christians, but who don't possess any real faith in Jesus. And hence, when Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you, it isn't because they really had faith in Jesus and then somewhere along the way they lost it and now they lost their salvation. It's that they never possessed eternal life and salvation to begin with. You cannot lose your salvation if you have it. But it is an open question sometimes if you have it to start with. And, and, these are, and Jesus is talking about people who think that they are saved, but who are not. They do not possess eternal life. Well, right now, some of you are thinking, well, thanks for clearing up the confusion, but I'm still experiencing fear right now that I might be one of these people. How do I know if my faith is real or not? How do I know if I am a person who professes faith in Jesus, but doesn't possess faith in Jesus in my heart and life? And I'm glad you asked, because Jesus gives us in this text... A one-question test right here in the passage. Do you see what it is? Right there, verse 21. Verse 21, what does it say? The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, those who profess faith in Jesus and do what Jesus taught are truly his followers. It's not dependent on me doing great and amazing miracles. Uh, it's, not, it's not dependent on my, me being able to prophesy and to cast out demons. And why not? Because Jesus says that even false followers can sometimes do amazing things. Just like the seven sons of Sceva in Acts chapter 19. If you haven't read that story, you should read that story about these guys that weren't believers in Jesus, but went around casting out demons in Jesus' name. And the demons at one point answered back and said, well, Paul I know, and Jesus I know, but who are you? And then beat them and sent them bleeding out of the house. Right? But sometimes people who are false followers of Jesus can do amazing things. Or you see the false prophet in the book of Revelation, he will do great and amazing things. But he won't be a follower of Jesus. So how do you separate the true Christians from the false, from those who joyfully enter heaven, from those who do not? And the answer is, do they do the Father's will? Because only those who possess faith 
in a genuine way automatically live out the new life they enjoy in Christ and do what only Christ can and will do through them in their life. Everyone who honors Jesus with their lips but whose hearts are far away from him will not be in heaven. Let me me explain this a little bit. You know, when I was growing up, we had bird dogs. Um, We had a bunch of them. And we would, and I would go with my dad, and um, you know, my job was basically dog groomer and uh, feed and waterer and that kind of thing, right? But every now and then, I would get to go out and actually participate in one of the dog trials. And and what they were is pointing dog trials, and you would turn two dogs loose in a field where that had had quail in it, and they would go, and you would get scored based on. Uh, how stylish the dog looked when he was on point, and how stylish he looked moving through the field, and whether he uh, obeyed his owner when he was told to do various things, and you know if they if they actually shot the bird, when did the dog bring it back? Uh, how difficult was the retrieve? All this kind of stuff, right? And you would get a score. And then at the end, you get trophies, right? And so we had some dogs that won some trophies, and it was, it was a lot of fun, right? Do you know why the dog does many of those things that they do? Because it's their nature. It's bred into them. And you can take little six-week-old puppies, and you can flick a bird wing right out in front of them and if they have the right breeding they'll be their eyes will bug out and they'll stiffen up and their little tails will go straight and it's really cool it's fun um but they do that because it's their nature and they have to do that everything in them through hundreds of years of selective breeding is wired into them to do exactly that by instinct Ooh, I smell a pheasant. <laughs> okay. And, and it makes it a whole lot of fun to go through the, go through the fields with a dog. You know, um, Marty's got some that are flushing dogs. Their instincts are bred a little differently. But, but they do that because it's in their nature. Now, let me make the point. Why the true Christians obey Jesus Because when we come to faith in Jesus, we get a what? A new nature. And we start to do by nature the things that belong to that new nature. Meaning that we start to naturally want to obey Jesus and follow Him and do the things that He commands because we are in possession of a new nature that drives us to do those things. And if you don't have that, it's because you don't really know Jesus. You don't really possess genuine faith but if you have a new nature through faith in jesus if you are born of the spirit born again there's all kinds of images that are there in the bible talk about this Uh, if that happens to you then you start to automatically do the things that 
are part of having that new nature. Now, Jesus also gives a, a little further explanation. He gives, us a, he gives us some word pictures, which are great. One of the most famous uh, word pictures probably in the whole New Testament, verses 24 to 27. Let's look at them. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now, every time I read this passage, I'm immediately transported in my mind back to Sunday school and BBS, where we started singing, the wise man built his house upon the rock. Right? Anybody else do this when they read this scripture? Right? I do that. Uh, those of you who don't do that, you missed out. You should go back to Sunday school. All right? Um, that is not a bad thing. Uh, in fact, one of the reasons why the Bible has psalms and why we sing hymns and spiritual songs on Sunday morning every, as part of worship, everything that we do together, why do we sing? Because sometimes God uses a song to communicate truth to us in a way that we can remember that gets in, gets in under our defenses a little bit, right? And we remember things a little better than just straight text sometimes. A song can get deeper into your soul than a paragraph of straight teaching, at least for some people at some points, right? And one of the things that, that this passage reminds us of, one of the things this little Sunday school song that we learned uh, reminds us of is the critical importance of knowing for sure what your hope and your eternal destiny is built on. That is built on a sure foundation of real faith, or is it built on a shaky foundation of a profession made without any evidence of a transformed heart and life? See, you might not see it there in, in your Bible if you have an ESV like mine. Um, it's, it renders the word, uh, it says everyone then, right? But uh, if you look at it in Greek or if you look at it in the NIV, I like the translation a little better. It actually reads, everyone therefore. In other words, there's a conclusion that Jesus is drawing from what he has just told you. And the conclusion is you need to be careful what foundation you have built your life on. And I want you to see a couple of other words that are critical to understanding the whole passage. Verse 24, everyone, and you ought to take a little pen or a highlighter or whatever you got and highlight these two words. Everyone then who hears and does. Hears and does. Right? Remember James? Do not merely be hearers of the word and so deceive yourselves. Be doers of the word so where did james get that by the way from jesus <laughs> okay um 
Here it is. Who hears and does is like a wise man. Being born again means, again, that we automatically want to and begin to live a life in obedience to Jesus because He is alive in our hearts. Our obedience serves to then testify that we really do know and love Jesus and it gives us then confident assurance that we are saved. How do you know that you're saved? Well, did you make a profession of faith? Yes. Very good. Okay. What's your life like? Are you living for Jesus? Yes. Okay, then you have every reason to be assured that you will be in heaven with God when you die. Let me ask you another question. Are you going to heaven when you die? Well, I hope so. Well, what do you mean you hope so? Well, you know, I, I, I put my faith in Jesus when I was in VBS when I was eight years old. Okay, that's awesome. What's your life like? Well, it's complicated. What do you mean it's complicated? Well, you know, I don't go to church anymore. And I haven't prayed in a long time. And I, I wouldn't really say I live for Jesus. But you know, I like Jesus. The scripture does not give you, in that case, a lot of assurance. What it would tell you is repent, come back to the Savior, put your trust in Him for real. Because what you said with your mouth and what's real in your heart might not be the same. But you have confident assurance and fearless ability to go to your death if you profess faith in Jesus and live for Jesus. You're, you're, you are like a person whose house is built on a rock. On the other hand, there is another way to live life, and it's a popular one, isn't it? It's to claim to be a Christian, but to refuse to hear and obey His teaching. Listening to a podcast this last week, two, two, uh, two moms, and they're, they're political conservatives, and they identify themselves as Christians, Right? But when they began to talk about their lives and so forth, it became evident to me that what they mean by that we're Christians is that we go to church. Because the advice they were talking about dating and the advice that they were giving for dating was basically this. Well, you know, you really should try before you buy and move in together. Well, what does the Scripture say about that? What does Jesus say about that? Uh, word of encouragement, he doesn't endorse that. Right? In fact, he says at the end of the book that outside the walls of the city, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, are the sexually immoral. Right? That is a different Jesus that you're claiming to follow than the one in the Bible. It's a popular way of going, though, right? 
But if you haven't yet, you should underline these words again. Verse 26, everyone who hears and does not do them, does not obey, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Over and over and over again, men and women, what we hear in the Scripture is that loving Jesus and obeying Jesus are essentially interchangeable. That if you love Jesus, you obey Him. If you obey Him, it's because you love Him. And here in verse 26 and 27, we see Jesus describe the outcome of hearing but not obeying. And He says it's like building your house on sand. I grew up in a house uh, where my dad was a home builder. Many of you know that. He still does a lot of remodeling work and and a few um, custom homes here and there. And one thing I know for sure uh, from him is this, that it really matters that you build a secure foundation for the house you're going to build. And it needs to be, sta- it needs to be stable and level, and square, and plumb. It's all got to be, in other words, a solid base on which to build. And if you get that wrong, you're going to run into problems. Not immediately. Not immediately. But as that house goes up, all of a sudden you're going to have a wall that goes like this. <laughs> Wonky off to, the, off to the side. Why is it doing that? Well, the foundation's not flat. You know? Or the foundation's out of square. And so then when we try and line up walls on it, it doesn't line up right. Or, well, we didn't get deep enough down into the ground. And so when the frost came, it, it heaved. And so the house is cracked. But worst of all is to build on no foundation. Because, you know, if you, if, you, if you go out to the desert, it doesn't rain all that much. You go out to New Mexico, Arizona, places like this, and it doesn't rain much. When it does rain, it rains a lot. But it doesn't rain all that often. And you could build your house so just slap on the dirt and be fine for a while until the rain comes. And when it does, what happens to sand when it gets wet? just all <laughs> flows away, right? It all flows away. It starts to move and shift, and the house goes with it. And what happens to the house that's built on the sand? You all know the song, the house on the sand went smash. And it went flat, right? Why? Because there was nothing solid underneath. And I used to think that, that what Jesus is talking about is the, the outcome of daily life. Right? Like, well, if your life is built on Christ, then your life down here goes better. And that's true, but that's not the point Jesus is making. 
point Jesus is making is that the day when the rain comes and the flood rises is the day of judgment. That's why there's a connection. That therefore in verse 24 that's really important. Because this is a passage about eternal judgment. Which side will you be on? Will you be among the sheep or the goats? And the question is, what's your foundation? Jesus isn't talking about anything as eternally insignificant as a house. Even the greatest and grandest houses in the world are just temporary. They're just temporary. The house that Jesus is speaking of is a metaphor for your eternal life and mine because every one of us will live eternally somewhere. And the question is, what kind of house are you building? And the answer is, it depends on what you've done with Jesus' words. If, on the one hand, you, have, you are hearing Jesus' words and you do not put them into practice, then your life is fine for now. For now. It's fine. You'll probably experience many of the blessings of God's common grace that He gives to everyone in this life. Jesus says that God causes the rain to fall and the sun to shine on the just and the unjust alike. And that's just one example of the fact that God gives, gives great blessings to everybody, not just to His children. But, at the end, when God's judgment does come like a flood, your house will not stand. It will collapse, and its collapse will have terrible, eternal consequences for you. So let's not kid ourselves. A person who claims to be a Christian and who is disobedient at a fundamental level to Jesus is a contradiction in terms. This, this biblically does not exist. This is like Sasquatch. The Loch Ness Monster, you know, the, the, uh, the Yeti, right? The Chupacabra, you know, <laughs> pick whatever cryptid animal you want, right? Things of which their existence is often reported but never verified, right? Lots of people want there to be, the, the biblical Chupacabra is the idea of a Christian who, who will be saved but who is disobedient to Jesus. No such thing. There's no such thing. Obedience is not optional. It is proof that our faith is genuine. And it is proof that we have received the eternal life that God offers. And it reassures us that we will be with Him and experience eternal life in all of its fullness. Because by the way, eternal life is not something that you get when you die. It's something that you, that you receive at salvation and you live it out here in the here and now. You live out the eternal life of Christ through you in the here and now. And then you experience it in its fullness in glory. But eternal life is a present possession if you are a follower of Jesus. And it's because you have eternal life that you obey Him. Unless you 
you are like the people of Israel that Isaiah denounced when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Now, at the same time, I don't want to be in any way unclear. Okay, not in any way unclear on this. We are not saved by our obedience to Jesus. Amen? Our obedience to Jesus does not save us. And you can see that over and over and over and over and over, over again. Okay? Do you know what the word for being saved by obedience is? Religion. That's what, that's what, that's what being saved on the basis of your obedience is. Uh, it's the belief system out there in the world, and it's present even in some so-called churches, that if you do enough good things, then you earn salvation. You merit salvation. You've gained it like, a, you know, like you finally collected enough, uh, uh, enough uh, punches on your card to get in, right? Instead of free coffee, it's salvation, right? Uh, that is religion. That is not the biblical gospel. And I don't want anybody to be confused about that. We are not saved by our obedience to Jesus. We are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, that we might glorify God alone. But, hear me when I say this, the faith which saves is never alone. It always results in a life of increasing obedience to Jesus. Now, not perfect obedience, surely, right? If perfect obedience is the only mark of following Jesus, we're all in a heap of trouble. Me, most of all. Because I have been preaching something different from that, right? We are all subject to and fall victim to sin that remains in our hearts. But nevertheless, the overriding commitment of our hearts should be to loving Jesus and obeying Him. And our obedience to Him should be growing and increasing over time. And alongside that increasing obedience, what you'll find is also a growing confident assurance that you really are the children of God. That you really do possess eternity, that all of the promises of Christ are yes for you, that your destiny is heaven and heaven is secure and that you need not fear anymore. And if your house is built on real faith in Jesus, the kind that not only hears his words, but also obeys them, then you are really blessed. And my encouragement to you, brothers and sisters, is to persevere in the faith all the way in till the end. All the way to the end. You know, when you're running a race, it really matters how you finish. Not how you began. If the race is long, you might stumble and fall down. You might get bloody along the way. You might lose a shoe. In fact, years ago, I remember a marathon runner finishing the race in nothing but his socks. <laughs> right? 26 miles. I think he ran the last 10 in his socks because he lost his shoes along the way. 
and he just needed to keep running. His socks were a mess and his feet were bloody, but he came across the line. And my encouragement to you, if you possess faith in Jesus, is to keep running. Keep running. Keep obeying. Keep persevering in faith all the way to the end. Because breaking the tape with your chest thrown out and your head back is worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Jesus loves those who obey Him and we show our love for Him by obeying Him. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray and then uh, let's sing. Father, we thank You for Your Word. It speaks to us so strongly sometimes that it startles us, even scares us. Father, I pray that there's no one here who would be confused and think that obedience saves. Obedience does not save. Faith in Christ and Him alone saves. But that faith transforms us into obedient children who love You and want to please You. And reveals who the real and the false are. Father, I don't want any of us to be a phony. I don't want any of us to pretend to a faith we don't possess. But I want all of us to have the genuine article. That we might live for you and bring you glory and honor. And might receive from you glory and honor in return. And Father, we pray that we might be, all of us, wise people who build our house on the rock of Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.